Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No! Oh boy, here I go with the editing. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm David Walker, as you can probably tell by now, I'm being joined by the one and only ESPN reporter for the Falcons, Michael Rothstein. Michael, thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Now, can people tell mostly because I've got you, like, not able to get through your first read? Yeah, or is like, it because you did not edit the no that I did at the beginning oh, of the podcast? I'm 100% leaving it in at this point. Like, that's that's a given. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's going to end up being a drop somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> no, just for context, the you know, on Zoom, which is what we record this on, it's what I record my podcast when I have guests uh, from The Perch on. Zoom will always tell you, you're now being recorded, which actually is way more helpful than what it used to be when it didn't yeah. tell you and you have to see the little red light. And so I just kind of did a, you know, a falsetto <laughs> no, and, and David lost it. So, and off oh. we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, not many guests consistently trip me up. And yet uh, I find that uh, you are my kryptonite on this show. So I, I don't know whether to congratulate you or just like permanently ban you. <laughs> well, I, I've had people sometimes call me Clark Kent, so I'll take it. Oh, excellent. <laughs> All right. Just don't just know that my kryptonite, my actual kryptonite is, and this is not any sort of promo for them, but it's because it's true. Uh, any sort of cupcakes, oatmeal, cream pies, or donuts from Revolution, the from Hell Yeah Gluten Free Bakery or uh, the gluten free donut from Revolution. That is my kryptonite because I will eat it over and over and over again, and then have to go run like seven miles. So yeah, that's my, uh, that is my kryptonite. It's not green. It's usually like pastry colored. Um, Fair enough. And I'm going to keep that in mind for when we, uh, when we eventually see Mr. Rothstein in person. Okay. Let's talk about football. Um, Okay. Have a live podcast. I'll come on and be a guest then. Yeah. Not to completely derail this, but have a live podcast. I'll come on. (laughs) Um, I do want to say, uh, before we get into it, uh, for the listeners that don't know, you do have uh, your podcast that you've started for the Falcons. Um, I've already gone and given you my rating on Apple Podcasts. I'll let you figure out. I saw out that. Thank you. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, you do a great job, of course. Uh, and to everyone listening to this podcast, please uh, go subscribe, go listen, go give a good rating uh, to Michael because he does great work covering the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Do not do what David did and give me one star. It's not right. You, you know, you got to earn the other four is, is how I look at it. Um, <laughs> oh, man, this is this is like spiraling out of control. This is fantastic. All right. Uh, I'm going to get us back on track as much as I possibly uh, I know, can. No, we're, we're, we're back on track now. I've been looking forward to this all day. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> all right. Uh, 
I want to talk about the Falcons in general. And I think we have to talk about some of the specifics. Uh, you've talked about uh, a good bit of this on your, your podcast, but obviously I think a lot of people thought they were going to come into this week at two and two, you know, the, they earmarked the Washington game. They saw, you know, Taylor Heineke as a sort of a career backup, someone that they could take advantage of. And the, what I'm seeing from a lot of people in their reaction is they're reacting almost exclusively to the last four minutes of the game and the play calling, uh, obviously the, the runs, the ineffective runs from Mike Davis. Um, and yet I think there's a bigger picture here that, that sort of encapsulates the whole game. Cause someone reminded me, I had almost forgotten that they started the second half, giving up a touchdown on, on special teams, the, the kick return. And I feel like that's getting overshadowed because it happened so quick and, and they moved on from it. And yet there were failures in all three phases of the game. They had failures on offense. They had failures on defense and then in special teams and as easy it is. And I think there's plenty of criticism to go around for um, the, the play calling towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter. It feels like there is a lot more to this. What's your take on it? Do you feel like it is exclusively what Arthur Smith did? Or do you feel like there is just way too many moments that went on that, that brought them to that point? No, I don't think it was exclusively on Arthur Smith. Hey, listen, he's the head coach. And as we've seen so far, we saw it in week one against Philly. We've seen it, you know, again, in other losses, he will take blame. And that's what head coaches are supposed to do. And especially early on in their tenures, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to lose the locker room and start pointing fingers. Like that's the last thing you want it to but this was not solely on arthur smith like you they don't give up that special teams touchdown it's a completely different situation because the way washington was moving the ball there's no guarantee they were going to get a touchdown or even a field goal out of that and mm -hmm. dustin hopkins was missing missing extra points so you know that was a big thing and that was really i think the first failure we've seen on special teams mm -hmm. from the falcons because i, I take cam nizelak's punting and put that in a different category because that's literally on one guy and everybody right. understands that. And he's, he's rebounded well, by the way, yeah, like, he has. you know, but I think it's a little bit everywhere. You know, the defense played, I thought really soft in the last couple of drives and mm -hmm. did not bring as much pressure as they had been and had not been trying to fluster Taylor Heineke. Uh, they, the coverage was bad. Listen, this is a team that dropped, what, three or four interceptions? The, the ones that I can count, Eric Harris really dropped, what, one or two. Jerron Harmon dropped one in the end zone, which he referenced on Monday. Yeah. And Fabian Moreau dropped one as well. And you can also argue that TJ Green, he had when he was in for, for the four plays, like, that you that shouldn't happen. Like, there, and that's not coach. That's not on the coaches. That's on – man, like you just got to body up Terry McLaurin. I, and obviously that's, that's hard to do and not get called for pass interference, but literally he like Kevin McHale up and under him. Like that's the move when I watched it again, I'm like, oh my God, it's a basketball move. It's Kevin McHale, Boston Celtics, mid-1980s. If you're too young to know what I'm referencing, you know, ask your ask somebody who was alive in the 1980s because Kevin McHale up and under, and that was his entire move with the Boston Celtics. His entire and career, that, yeah. Yeah, I, I listen, it's a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. But that's that was what I saw there. And so it's more than just the coaching. Yes, the, the play calling I thought was conservative both offensively and defensively, without a doubt. And I think you you don't necessarily take the ball completely out of Matt Ryan's hands there with a screen on third down. Mm 
mm. because I, I just wouldn't do that, especially when Mike Davis was ineffective the first two runs. And I, I even, even the other side, I was the one who asked why are you handing the ball to Mike Davis when he's averaging 1.1 yards a carry going into those two drives, more or less. And I understand why they did. I understand why they ran the ball. I understand why they even ran the ball at Mike Davis because the last two weeks he'd been average, you know, he'd been over four yards a carry. Mm-hmm. So you have faith in the guy that you signed to be your number one back, even though Wayne Gallman looked to me more explosive on Sunday than Mike Davis. Cordero Patterson, I would not give the ball to him in that situation as a runner because he, in half of his games, he's averaged under two yards a carry too. So, right. you know, I, it was either Wayne Gallman or Mike Davis, and I would have rid, ridden the hotter hand in that. But I understood the I understood the why of the decision, even if I didn't, if it wouldn't have been the decision I made. And that's I'm always just asking for explanations to understand why. But this was on more than just Arthur Smith. This was really, I think, every phase of their team, as you alluded to, making critical errors, and and some of it too was injury related because. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible, and this is in no way Young Way Koo's fault. Like, you know, anyone who I haven't seen anyone blame Young Way Koo, but anyone who blames Young Way Koo has to understand kicking field goals and punting are two, two totally different, different yeah. motions. <laughs> and I and the only reason I know well, I mean, I know this for common sense, but also in week one, I forget what year it was, but the Lions, and not to go back to the Lions again, but the Lions had a punter who ran the ball out of the end zone and got got hit. And basically his whole, this was like the first quarter, his whole knee was destroyed. Oh. Casey Redfern was his name. Uh, is, well, he's still alive. So is his name. And Matt Prater had to punt. And it was very similar to Young Way Koo. It was decent, but not enough. And it's because that's not what they do. They don't practice that. Maybe they yeah. practice it if they do it all once a year. Like and, and that that's such a repetition thing. So I think understanding that it's, you know, there were a bunch of things in that last four or five minutes that I thought, and I wrote about this on Monday, David, that negated otherwise I thought a pretty productive and step forward day for the Falcons in a lot of ways. Offensively, I thought they looked pretty darn sharp. Mm-hmm. Defensively, up until those last couple of drives, I've, and Taylor Heineke's completing everything. I thought they were they're pretty good, especially down to me, their second best defensive player at the moment, Isaiah Oliver, who's now yeah. out for the season. Yeah. I thought they were they were good. And then, you know, Cam Nizalak's still punting decently well. Young Way Koo is Young Way Koo. And, you know, there and Cordell Patterson is is turning into I would say their best free agent signing and and their best free agent signing possibly by a considerable margin. Oh yeah. Uh, Offensively for sure, but maybe even the entire team, I I think you can argue maybe a couple of guys here and there, but yeah, I, I thought it was a, a day, a day of production that was washed out in five minutes. And, you know, I know I've been rambling here a little bit, but the, the difference here, and this is where maybe the view I take it versus maybe the view that others take it, it's certainly based on my social media timelines the last few days, <laughs> is if you understand this is a long-haul process of which any almost any new coach, new GM, when they come, when, especially when they come in together, whether they say it or not, it's a longer-haul process. Mm-hmm. 
I thought that this was a positive step that could help them down the road. And I, I've seen really every week, I thought, I've thought them taking more positive steps. Now, I don't know if it's going to lead to success in 2021, but I think it could lead to building blocks for success in 2022 and 2023. Right. And the schedule in theory lightens up starting this week. So it could very well lead to success in 2021 as well. And I think that remains to be seen. But we kind of know what they are a little bit right now. But I think they're getting better every week, which is the whole point for this team. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, Gina and I came into this season thinking their ceiling as a team is probably going to be around the 500 mark. And, you know, and that is with a roster that is perilously thin at some positions, you know, we've already seen, they had Russell Gage go out and all of a sudden the wide, wide receiver position is just incredibly, a lot of days a kiss is a wide receiver too, is not what you want to have out there. And some would argue Gage as a wide receiver too, is, is, you know, not the ideal situation. Um, Corner was already a thin position and now they've lost Isaiah Oliver. They had to rail out for a game. Um, So this is not a roster. I think that, necessarily sustain injuries and compete at the same time. And that's sort of a given in the NFL that you're going to have injuries and you're going to have to overcome them uh, in any season. So to your point, it feels like the the bigger messaging is with the Falcons is, are they making progress? One of the things that stood out to me was Matt Ryan was able to challenge downfield maybe more than he ever has all season. The offensive line looked like they gave him more time in the pocket. Um, and if you're thinking about the long term, I'm looking at guys like Matt Hennessy, um, Jalen Mayfield, and I'm thinking, are they going to be the solution in 2022 and beyond? And the only way to know that is to see them move from game to game and get better. So do you feel like on the offensive side of the ball, at least with, with some of those guys, and then, you know, Kyle Pitts getting a little bit more involved as well. Um, to me, those are some of the positive signs that uh, if Ryan can continue to play like this uh, after the slow start, this is a team that can be more competitive down the stretch, maybe not a playoff team, uh, but a more competitive team and really going into 2022, they may have a lot of pieces begin to fall in place that it's going to take this season to get there. Potentially. Uh, I mean, if we're going to look that far ahead, the elephant we'll call it in the room is that they still are going to have some questions under the cap and sure. they're going to have some really hard decisions to make on a lot of their top end talent after this season, including Matt Ryan, including maybe Jake Matthews, including no one wants to talk about it right now, including Grady Jarrett, Grady Jarrett, yeah, you know, and Calvin Ridley. Um, but that's, I think, a conversation for. It might depend how this season plays out. Yeah, you know, if, if they get closer to the 500 mark, maybe you build off of this core. If they end up with four or five wins, then you're probably looking to change things up more wholesale. I, I think that there's a lot of unknowns still mm-hmm. with that. And frankly, a lot of that could end up being decided in the next couple of weeks because the trade mm-hmm. deadline's coming up. They do have some guys that they could move theoretically mm-hmm. if if they decided they wanted to, guys on in contract years. Uh, Hayden Hurst being a guy that, to me, stands out because they're not really getting him all that involved in the offense at the moment. That if you're out of it. Maybe you try and, and make a move there to, to see if you can get some draft capital. I don't know. But I mean, I think that you don't do that if you're the Falcons, if you win on Sunday against the Jets, if you come back and you win at Miami, 
then I don't know if you you go and do that because you're in it. And mm-hmm. that's that's a t- and maybe you're looking to add a piece if you can. But that can be a short and long term solution at some of these positions, depending on what injuries look like, maybe depending on what Avery Williams looks like in the slot this week and next. Uh, I thought he I thought he held up okay in a really difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Um and this week's gonna be a challenge for him against Jameson Crowder because yeah. Jameson Crowder's underrated sneaky good when it comes to being out in the slot. He is he's a dangerous, dangerous guy. I am I'll have Rich Samini, who's my colleague who covers the Jets, and we talked about that a little bit on the, on the podcast I have that's dropping Thursday. Uh, and, and that's going to be, I think, a really interesting matchup and a tough challenge for Avery Williams. And yeah. what theoretically, we don't know for sure a lot can happen between now and, and, and Sunday, theoretically could be his first start. But I want to go back to something you were talking about before, which is Matt Ryan did take more downfield shots, and that was good. But when we're talking about how things went awry, Calvin Ridley dropped two very catchable passes, oh, including yeah. a massively deep shot that, to me, hit him like I, people. I, I forget whether this is a video podcast too. People, if people can see this, literally hit him in his hands. Like, yeah. Well, and that I think changes the game. Maybe salts away the game mm-hmm. for Atlanta because it's a huge play. Alameda Zacchaeus drops a ball that literally hits him in the hands. Mm-hmm. And those are and those are big plays, chunk plays. Those plays maybe get Matt Ryan over 300 yards. Those plays extend drives like that. That's the type of stuff that loses you games. And those things, if I remember correctly, and I don't have it in front of me, I think those were things that happened in the first half. Yeah. I mean, even what was it? The first or second drive of the game uh, that they went deep to Ridley. And frankly, if Matt Ryan had thrown the ball a little bit better, I, because I don't think it was a great ball for Matt Ryan. Ridley had a step on two defenders. Instead, mm-hmm. Ridley had to turn around and contort his body and jump to make a play, and that allowed the defenders to catch up. I don't know if you know, remember the play that I'm talking about. I do, here. yes. Yeah, and and that to me was like, oh, man, if he he gets two or three more yard, you know, air yards on, the, on that, that's probably six mm-hmm. because they're not, those guys aren't going to catch. Uh, you know, there were a couple, listen, there were a couple bad – referee decisions in that game too and i'm not one i talked about my podcast on monday and anyone who knows me at all knows i am not uh i am not sorry it's got an email that made me chuckle uh (laughs) i am not somebody who ever will ever talk about the refs and covering the lines i've seen a lot of like interesting refereeing decisions positively and negatively as, as we talked about before a lot of times involving the Falcons and <laughs> I'm never one that's going to ever talk about that, but I've never seen as many picked up flags in a yeah. game. And that to me stood out like that to mm-hmm. me was like, what's going on? And that happened on both sides, but I thought that was super interesting. Luckily I'm not in the NFL, so I'm not going to get fined for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't see any of the players or coaches necessarily harp on that because I don't think they want to make it a point of emphasis, but, that does, that's not, doesn't seem like Arthur Smith's way, honestly. No, no. And let's be honest, dude. I mean, dudes don't want to get fined. I've yeah. covered, I've covered guys who've gotten fined for criticizing officiating. That's money you're just literally watching walk out of your pocket yeah. for for no reason. And I get it. Like, why? I mean, it's it's a catch twenty two thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't speak up, things are never going to change because that's you know, if no one says anything, no one then what are you doing? But if you do speak up, like you're watching 
money walk away from you. And I don't know about you. I, I don't like when I see money walking away from me, whether, oh, no. it's, whether it's the $2 I spend on or $4 I spend on the $680 million Powerball that I didn't win, <laughs> or whether it's something a little more serious. Like I, I don't like seeing money walk away. No, and neither, it, they may be millionaires, but they, they don't care for that either. And I will say, some people may not know this, but the coaches do have some recourse. They can ask the league to review these plays after the fact, just for, for the purpose of uh, having these refs, you know, course correct during the season and, and not make these same mistakes again. So it's not like they can't do anything, but um, yeah. And, and I'm with you. I don't, I don't generally, most the refs tend to even out uh, as far as the bad calls over the oh, course of a game. Um, it, but yeah, when they stand out, it's sort of like an air traffic controller. If you find out the air traffic controller's name, something's probably gone really bad. Well, and same thing with the long snapper. It's like yeah. if you know who yeah. Josh, <laughs> if you know who Josh Harris is, uh, unless you're like a diehard, like that's probably bad. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Dom, listen, and I hate going back to Detroit over and over, but Dom Muehlbach was like oddly, and this was so weird to me that a long snapper was among the most favored players in. <laughs> on any franchise which is no knock on long snappers they do, they do a really hard job i could never do it and mm -hmm. it's probably the job i understand least on a football field like as far as like the mechanics of it and what makes one, one oh, good yeah. versus bad versus the obvious but like you don't want to know who the long snapper is like do you know who the jets long snapper is no idea you should it's matt, uh, matt hennessy's brother but that's um <laughs> that is a random fact wow but I'm just saying, like, my point is that you don't ever really want to know. And by the way, I'm fact-checking myself uh, as I say that. But uh, no, that, that's the thing. You don't want to know who the long snapper is, for instance. So it's, officials are the same way. You don't, unless you're Ed Hockey League because you're, like, jacked and, you know, have a distinct voice. You don't want to know who, uh, like, Walt Coleman, he's, I think he retired, but like, you don't want to, know, mm -hmm. like, Walt Coleman, Scott Novak, Jerome Boger, you don't want to know who these guys are because then mm -hmm. that's a problem. Yeah. No, this is, uh, they should be invisible. And I think that's the, that's my complaint. They were not, they were, they were visible. You, you, you could see their impact on the game and that's, uh, you know, problematic. So, but I don't want to spend any more time on the reps. Obviously, that is, uh, that could go. Fans will talk yeah, about. No, I don't, I don't want to either. Yeah. I would rather talk about long snappers. Thomas Hennessy, <laughs> by the way, is uh, the long snapper for the Jets. <laughs> that I and now I know who the long snapper for the Jets is, and I, I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> Store it away, remember it, and just be glad that I was on this podcast. I'm I'm always glad you're on the podcast, <laughs> um, but not for long snapper information. That's that is not the the, the peak of the 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 podcast. Well, you know, you're going to regret saying that one day. Now. <laughs> I hope I don't. I, Cause I don't know what that's going to look like. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I do. I've been there. Oh man. Yeah. I bet you've seen a lot. I haven't covered uh, Detroit. You know, mm -hmm. on that note, um, because this stands out to me and I want to get your, your thoughts on this. Uh, we talked a little bit about this already, um, but there was a lot of backlash from Falcons fans. And I know, you know what, social media is its own thing, but uh, there's a bit of backlash on the whole Ted Lasso thing um, with, <laughs> with Arthur Smith hitting the believe sign. And, 
you clarified uh, multiple times on social media. Number one, Arthur Smith did not put that sign up. It was, and it was probably David Bassetti, uh, the PR guy for the Falcons, uh, who put it up. It was tongue in cheek from what I could ascertain. And, and you can clarify that. But I saw, I was sort of blown away. A lot of Falcons fans were getting bent out of shape over the idea that Arthur Smith is like trying to emulate Ted Lasso, which I don't think was the case at all. Um, I think Falcons fans are very sensitive to anything that is slogan based because they, they sort of identify that with Dan Quinn um, and they don't want Arthur Smith to be Dan Quinn, but can you clarify that? Am I right? Was it, I felt like it was tongue in cheek. It was clear to me, but for some reason, there were a lot of people that reacted very negatively to that, to what is arguably a, a fantastic show, by the way. So. Sure. And let's clarify one thing first. It turns out that Ted Lasso's name is really Cliff and he is the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, according to Cliff Kingsbury. So, (laughs) uh, no, I I don't know if people saw that story, but like there was a reference that Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury made to Ted Lasso. I think it was on Sunday. So, no, yes. So I'm going to explain how all this happened. I explained a little bit on my podcast uh, on I forget if it was the Thursday podcast or if it was the podcast uh, that dropped yesterday. So this all started because of me, much like the whole Matt LaFleur, Arthur Smith back and forth started because of me <laughs> and asking about sartorial choices. I had, I had noticed probably in the week leading up to the game against the Giants and then definitely after the game, every person, whether it was Arthur Smith, whether it was players, all were saying something along the line of belief or believe like over and over and over again. And maybe it's because I've watched every episode of Ted Lasso. Maybe it's because I'm a very, I'm a huge supporter of the show. Uh, I may have, I'm going to admit this and I will regret this. Like in FIFA, my coach may be actually, may be named Ted Lasso. (laughs) Like, because I I just, my coaches always used to be named. I said, I play a lot of video games and I will come back bring the train back on the track in a minute, but I usually name my coaches forest tree because <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. And I'm in a league of Madden league with some friends and like, yeah, that's generally, I name my coaches forest tree because I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I, I have no idea why it came to my head one day, but I just did it. But now I'm on a kick of naming them all Ted Lasso. Uh, and I tried to make the, the coach and people look like Ted Lasso. They just don't have a good enough mustache on the EA uh, yeah, generator really of thick. They, it's not thick enough. Yeah. He's got a thin mustache. It doesn't work. Uh, but he's coaching Nottingham, Nottingham Forest right now. Still have to have some forest in there. And <laughs> and you know it's going well. But going back, getting back. Uh, hopefully we didn't lose every listen. Uh, <laughs> I, I had asked, and I basically had asked Matt Ryan. I was like, listen, like all of y'all said, belief, belief in some form or fashion, is this like a Ted Lasso thing? Like, what's going on here? And that's when Matt Ryan said, no, like, Arthur Smith is different than Ted Lasso. It's not like we're hitting a belief. There's not like a belief sign in the locker room. And here we go. So Wednesday, we walk into the press conference area, which, again, and people need to understand this, this is not even in the same building as anything football-related. They have us in a completely different building on their campus. So it's not like we saw this, it's, oh, in between the locker room and the press conference. No, no, this is a completely different freaking building. Mm-hmm. And there's a belief sign. And I'm, I'm going to take credit in saying I'm the first one who saw it. 
<laughs> took a picture of it. All of a sudden, other you know, Allison Estrangelo, who does a great job uh, on TV, Tori McElhaney, who covers the Falcons for the Falcons, uh, all saw this and you know mentioned this as well and tweeted it out and and the whole deal. And I was actually started the press conference not with a football question. I literally asked Arthur Smith, "Is that you?" And I pointed to the side. <laughs> And he said, no, he doesn't know how to go. I think he thinks it's Bassity, whatever. And there's a long running like Bassity, Arthur Smith deal going, a joke going on too. And basically, you know, then he said belief, like, and believe like 10 or 15 times in the presser, just because he's just, no, it wasn't purposeful. At one point right, he right. stopped himself and was like, man, that sign is like, he, he even like <laughs> recognized because Arthur Smith is very, He's a 38-year-old guy. Like, he gets yeah. pop culture. He's plugged in to all of that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he dropped a Friday Night Lights reference in the same presser, mm-hmm. Buddy Garrity. And, and so, yeah, he's got a really – if you haven't picked up on it and maybe you haven't because you don't watch every press conference or you aren't, you know, happy because the team's not winning and or you just don't have a certain sense of humor, like – Arthur Smith has a very low-key, dry, kind of sarcastic sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's very – I didn't pick up on it my first couple of months covering the beat and covering him, but I get it now. And, like, it's just there. And if you pay really close attention, it's just – it's there. And if you can sense it, if you can – maybe it's a better thing in person. But, yeah, the whole thing was kind of – like joking around and of course like his personality is like absolutely i'm gonna hit that at like (laughs) why not i mean i don't think when he did that he thought it was going to become what it became either like yeah it's i hate and i said this on my podcast and i will say it here and i will say it to anyone who listens and i will scream it from every rooftop and every top of every (laughs) every building in Atlanta. this is still a game it is supposed to be even in a billion dollar business at the end of the day, it is supposed to be fun. Yeah. This was a moment of levity. That is okay. <laughs> yeah. Like it is, and it's fine to have a moment of levity. Everybody got a little bit of a laugh out of it. Nobody really took it super seriously, but then Twitter did what Twitter does. <laughs> and that's unfortunate because I hate like I love seeing players, coaches, organizations to an extent have fun with stuff and mm-hmm. joke around because like that's at the end of the day, what it's all about. If you can't laugh at things and you can't laugh at yourself and you can't laugh at other people, what are we all doing? Yeah. Maybe not at other people at anyone's expense, but you know, like I'm a huge comedy fan. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Bill Burr is great. Like, you know, like that, that type of thing. Like that's George Carlin's my favorite comic of all time. Like, Oh, now you're speaking, but I'm just saying, there has to be comedy and laughter. There has to be some sort of levity to everything. And that's really, like you said, all this was, but yeah. I will once again, uh, take the, I'll, I'll be that Bernie Sanders meme. I guess I like, I, once again, I will take the blame <laughs> for something that has gone viral with the Falcons. That was kind of funny and silly. And it's okay. I'm okay with that because, uh, that's, you know, like I, it was, it was enjoyable for a few days. Like, who? Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of having the same reaction. And to me, the alternative Sorry, is now I'm flustered and frustrated, and that was a ten minute rant. <laughs> Nowhere to no, But what's the alternative? Like, I actually saw people suggest that he shouldn't be joking around, and I'm like, 
that's that would generate such a miserable environment for like if you have a coach covered someone after- who did that and you want to know what it is a miserable miserable environment for everyone yeah exactly like okay so i'm going to give you an example here and again i'm going back to to the lines a little bit i can go even further back jim caldwell everyone has seen jim caldwell at podium he's very serious he's not like this in off the podium, but very serious, very much like check the report was his thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was memed everywhere in Detroit <laughs> towards the end of his tenure. It was really stressful. Like everybody knew the, knew the situation. We had fun one day. We, he, I forget what it was, but some of the people in the press corps and we all knew what was happening beforehand brought in an avid because he was talking about, he always, I forget what it is because my, I've covered a lot of coaches. Uh, <laughs> like he talked something about numbers or whatever and they brought in an abacus and was like would this help and i mean he lost it basically <laughs> like or as close as he's ever going to lose it on the podium like i mean but you want to know what it was it was a moment of levity in a rough in a in a stressful situation and mm-hmm. that's okay like that's you have to show that because at the end of the day, you want to know what the crazy thing is, David? You want to know what the, the, the insane thing about all of this is? What's that? We all human and we all, you know, there, there, there's like few, my, my dad and uh, other people I know, you say there's few certainties in life. Like mm-hmm. we all, for the most part, are subject to all of those same certainties in life. So mm-hmm. Why not have a little bit of fun and, and enjoyment along the way versus treating everything like it's, you know, super, super serious. Yeah. I mean, if your favorite team is one in three and that is disrupting your entire week, you may need to get outside a little bit more, go find something that makes you laugh, enjoy life a little bit more. It, it, you know, I get it. Fans are invested in the teams and the NFL wants it that way. They want people to be invested in their product, but like these coaches that they have a tough ask as it is, you know, to get 53 men on the same page, working hard nonstop to try to be the best at, you know, their positions in this business. Like that's already tough as it is. Um, If Arthur Smith is going to have a little bit of fun in the process, even as they're, you know, making mistakes and and struggling through the season, like there's gotta be some leeway with that. Like we cannot take every possible thing seriously. And I'm not saying, I mean, listen, I'm grateful because if there weren't fans, I wouldn't have a job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I recognize that. And I'm, I'm grateful for fans. I try to be as uh, interactive and engaging with fans oh, yeah. as I possibly can be between Instagram chats and the podcast and on Twitter and and just trying to explain stuff and answer whatever questions and ask questions for y'all that y'all have, have questions about. And I try to make sure I do that because y'all are, you know, fan, meaning fans, people listen to your podcast, people who listen to mine, people who follow me on Twitter. Uh, like they're, you're the reason I have a job, you know, I mean, like you're, they're, they're, you're the reason that a lot of like people in football have jobs and we get that, but it's okay to just have balance too, when it comes to mm-hmm. not everything needs to be super serious, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that people are invested. I'm glad that they are absolutely, they should be, you know, and, and that's great, but there's a difference between being invested and freaking out over every, everything. Like there, there's a, there's a difference in a line there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And sometimes we just, especially with social media, maybe best to take a step back and take a breath and let things sink in a little bit before you overreact. Um, All right. 
I'm going to take a break, but I fully expect you to disrupt me in the middle of it. And I'm going to edit it later. <laughs> oh, I wish you guys could see Mike's reaction right now. <laughs> I love this guy. All right. We are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And we're back on the Falcolic Podcast. I jumped in before he could interrupt me. Uh, I am here with ESPN reporter. Get water. There was no break. I'm God. Give me a second. The, the magic of podcast editing disrupted by ESPN reporter Michael Rostein, who joins us to talk about the Falcons. Um, <laughs> uh, flustered yet again. Uh, he does. He did get the water uh, for those. I'm, I'm going to do a play-by-play on the Lemon LaCroix. <laughs> All right. So bigger question for you with the Falcons, because you, you, your, your history in Detroit, I feel like is informative. Um, they were a franchise that, and you saw this, I, I think what three times in your time there where they, they hit the reset button with the coach, they hit the reset button with the coach. Um, it was three or four times. I know they, they went through a few cycles, but um, where are the Falcons at? right now it's four games they're one and three i know that i know the the specifics um but where arthur smith is concerned where his um presence uh with the team what you're seeing from the team what you can ascertain where do you think he is right now in his journey as a head coach because i I feel like this these you you said earlier the guy is 39 years old um he's never been a head coach before it'd be different if we were talking about bill cower but this is a guy who's in his first go around with this how do you how do you perceive this with your history of having seen head coaches come into a franchise like this? I think it's fine. I, you know, I, I really do. This was always going to be a tough deal this year. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a tough deal for Terry Fontenot. It was going to be a tough deal for Arthur Smith because listen, I was high. I think I came on your show and I was higher on the Falcons probably the most because I, I felt like the, their starters and their top end talent is, and I maintain this, is still pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. But it's the depth that's always been the problem. And we're starting to already see that yeah. now. And so, from a roster standpoint, I mean, I think that what's happening is exactly what I thought might happen. It's just maybe happening a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not, I haven't seen anything that screams like, oh no, this is like a bad thing, like this is a problem. This is, you know, like red flag warning signs. And I've covered teams that have had that early on Mm -hmm. and I've covered teams that haven't and that just take some time. And I think that that's what you're seeing right now because, you know, it's actually interesting in Detroit because I felt like in Detroit, I never covered a full – rebuild a full or and i don't even know if this is a full rebuild but i've never covered this full like oh wow this team is really 
in trouble and there's a coach coming in that really needs to fix it because mm-hmm. don't forget, I mean, Jim Schwartz, <clears throat> that team in 2013 was a pretty good roster and they were a team that was trending toward the playoffs. And then, I mean, if we're really going to go micro on this, Jim Schwartz decides to fake a field goal and have Sam Martin, their then rookie punter who's now in Denver run in Pittsburgh and you kick the field goal and you're in decent shape and it fails. The Steelers come down, they drive, they win the game. I remember turning to Dave Burkett, who's a really good friend of mine. Uh, once was a colleague now, uh, was a comp- then was a competitor at Detroit Free Press. And I turned to him, I'm like, I don't think they're going to win a game the rest of the year. I think that's it. Hmm. And because, and they didn't. And I'm not saying that to like puff my chest out. I'm saying because that stole all their momentum. And, you know, Jim Schwartz after that game went on the, went up to the podium and said, I, you know, you can't, you can say whatever you want, but you can't say I'm scared. I, I'm paraphrasing. Like that was something that yeah. became a thing. And you kind of knew at that point it was, it was trouble. And then hmm. Justin Tucker ended real effectively ended that tenure with a 61 yard field goal on Monday night football in Detroit. Justin Tucker, the same Justin Tucker who made it that now, you know, a 66 yard field goal that bounced up and up right. But my point with all that is that team was a fringe playoff team mm-hmm. in terms of talent. And then, you know, they, they lost it. And that's what Jim Caldwell inherited. Jim Caldwell inherited and Terrell Austin did an amazing job with that defense in 2014, but that was a roster that was close to winning. And that's also the best NFL team, by the way, so far that I've covered is that 2014 Lions team. They beat Dallas. I think they could have easily gotten to the NFC title game. And, you know, they, they have actually to, to get real micro, they figure out their kicker situation earlier. They probably win the division that year and are hosting playoff game Hmm. because, they they did they went through kicker issues, but that ended up landing them Matt Prater, who was, you know, as consistent as they come really for them from 2014, 2020. So you look at that, I did a full rebuild that. And they were never worse than seven and nine with Caldwell. And the only reason they got rid of Caldwell, well, there were many reasons they got rid of Caldwell, but the reason that they gave, and it's, it was the overarching thing, was that they felt that Caldwell had taken them as far as he could, which was respectable, yeah. but not Super Bowl. So they made that move to Matt Patricia to get to a Super Bowl contender and a consistent one. And it, you know, went the other way. <laughs> and I watched, I watched how a team unravels. I watched how a team falls apart. I've seen yeah. that. Uh, but then, you know, Matt Patricia gets fired. And I would have been seeing the same thing now. You know, so yeah. I've been paying attention a little bit to what they did and what they're doing in Detroit. And I think that they are definitely more committed to a full-on Rebuild, you saw that with the trade of Matthew Stafford yeah, and a lot of the other moves they made. Uh, you know, and they lose Romeo Aquara, who best defensive player for the year. You know, they lost Romeo Aquara and Jeff Okuda, two of their young defensive players who were really talented for the year already. So it's, you know, yeah. but that, that game, that game, by the way, in week 15 or week 14, whatever it is, uh, at Mercedes-Benz between the Lions and Falcons might be, might be a rough one to watch. But, uh, <laughs> you know... I look at the Falcons team, you know, you asked me going like, well, definitely the Lions there, but like, I look at this, Fal- this is all coming back to say, I look at the Falcons right now and I don't see that. I see a team that is kind of in, I would almost say they're right now in that area of where Jim Caldwell's teams were. Hmm. Maybe not as, as good and definitely not as deep because they, they did a great right. job of building the depth. I felt 
um, on that team, especially in certain positions. But I feel like they're a team that has talent. This isn't a roster bereft of talent. I mean, mm. their linebackers, their 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 inside linebackers are really good. Yeah, and they're I would I would argue that you, the whole middle of their defense is actually pretty good because you've got Grady Jarrett in the middle, then you've got yeah. Foyer Lewican and Deion Jones, and then listen, I know people are criticizing Deron Harmon and Eric Harris a little bit, but they're experienced guys. <clears throat> they're not going to have blow up plays that are. All, very often at least that are gonna yeah. really hurt you and they're already and Deron Harmon all but said it when I asked him about it uh, on Monday that they're prepping Jalen Hawkins to be a starter it, yeah. I mean I'm putting the word starter in that in that but he compared it to what he did early in his career where he was that third safety that and they're they're working to get him time because they don't want if Deron gets hurt or Eric gets hurt we saw Eric get hurt we don't know his status yet right uh, but you see Jerron or Eric, like they get hurt. You don't want Jalen Hawkins first snaps, like to be in a, that type of pressure situation. Yeah. You want to, you want to have that. So say he has to step in this week, just for argument's sake, then he has some experience. And he doesn't have a lot of experience playing with Jerron Harmon next to him, but he has some experience. So that mm-hmm. helps. I think their middle of the defense is okay. The outside, you know, I mean, listen, Fabian's been, Average, which is exactly what, you know, I think he's had some good games. I, I didn't think his last game was all that good. AJ Terrell mm-hmm. is, is a good player. We're seeing that he hasn't created turnovers yet, but we've seen what he can do and what the potential is. Yeah. There, Dante Fowler is looking much more, I think, like the Rams Dante Fowler than what we saw last year. And I think that that's a good sign. But the problem is the rest, they're just not getting that type of pass rush. And yeah. Isaiah Oliver was, I would include him in that middle portion mm-hmm. uh, I mean Isaiah Oliver like we talked about before I thought it was just uh, before he got hurt was their second best defensive player behind Grady mm-hmm. you know that's not a knock on anybody else I just think he was playing that well mm-hmm. and uh, you know, maybe that's relative to, maybe that's relative to expectation but I thought he was you know uh, I thought he was doing a really good job and we'll see what happens with Avery Williams right now I, I think Avery Williams much like Jalen Mayfield is going to be pressed into service a lot earlier than they had hoped your plan and when you so to look at off the offense i mean the offensive line is what it is right now i think it i think they're rounding into being a very average group which is maybe a little bit better than what people thought but they're mm-hmm. not I, I don't think they're great cordero patterson best free agent signing that they made and it <laughs> might be not close and if they can keep that up once everything else gets going in the offense and we've seen flashes of it yeah uh is promising. So I, I think that there's a lot of promise there still. And, and I'm not somebody, you know, I'm still fairly new here. I'm not somebody who blows smoke like ever. Like yeah. that's just not my deal. You can ask people in Detroit. There's a segment of, of Detroit Lions fans who, who literally hated me because I thought I was negative about everything. Like that's just not <laughs> what I do. I, I, I see potential there. I, I, I was wrong about their receiver depth. I thought their receiver depth would be better. But mm. Tajay Sharp hasn't been terrible in the role that he's been asked to be in now. Yeah. I'm surprised with how they've used Kyle. But Kyle, and Kyle, like, I know people are, like, screaming about Kyle Pitts. But what we're really seeing with Kyle Pitts is we're seeing a player who – and when I said what I said about Kyle Pitts on the last time I was on your show, mm-hmm. when I felt like he would have this big – I thought they would use him more 
kind of like he was used as a freshman at Florida where he, yeah, he'd do some tight end stuff, but they would use him as a pass catcher. And yeah. he would be an outside, almost like an outside receiver and like almost like two tight ends would be their default formation, you know, or the default personnel package. But that's not what we're seeing. We are seeing him be a true tight end. And if you oh, yeah. know anything about tight ends, you know that tight ends, I don't care how talented they are. I don't care if their name is Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Eric Ebron. I'll throw him in that mix. TJ Hawkinson before he got injured his rookie year. Uh, all those guys struggle as rookies because there's so much that you are learning because you're, yeah. especially in Kyle Pitts' case, you are learning how to play every single receiver position. You yeah. are also learning how to block. You're learning how to play an inline tight end position. Like that is, you're essentially learning four or five positions mm-hmm. where, and I don't think people understand that there's still, at least from when I watch Kyle Pitts, I see a lot of a guy still figuring it out and thinking. Mm-hmm. And you, but you, the athleticism's there. The, the playmaking is there. Like we've seen that. We saw that the, toward the end of the game against the Giants, even though he didn't catch a pass for three quarters. It's there. It's just going to take a minute. And, yeah. you know, it's, and I'll, I'll take some of the blame on that as well as I think others in the media should have that we, we put too much into thinking he would be the exception to the rule instead of following the rule. And right. it's still early. He could still prove to very well be the exception to the rule. Yeah. There's 13 games saw, left. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we saw pieces of that on Sunday. And I thought we saw pieces of that in week two against Tampa, mm-hmm. but I think that's what it's going to be is you're going to see pieces here and there and who knows, maybe the bye week after the Jets is when he's able to really sit down and process stuff. Because a lot of times you see that in rookies. After they have a bye week to say, oh, okay, breath. Yeah. They, they, can, they then take another step. And I'll be curious to see what that looks like here in week seven against Miami and, and see if there's maybe some more consistency there. And I think Arthur Smith will probably learn some stuff too and be able to do some self-scout in that bye week also that says, okay, this is where he – learn something and this is where he doesn't. I, I still think his, I think his offense has shown more than I, I don't think it's been bad. I think that there's yeah. some first impression bias still going on from that first week when they did nothing. Yeah. Yep. After those first two drives. And I think that that's still lingering, but listen, they put up 30 on Washington. They, they probably the should put are, up a lot more. Uh, without well, some of those and they, drops. Yeah, they could, like we talked about with drop passes. Yeah, yeah they, they struggled against the Giants, but I don't think that – I think that Giants defense, that secondary is better than I thought that they would be, and I should have been That surprised me. Sec- oh, well, I should have been higher on their secondary when you look at who's in that secondary. Logan Ryan and Adoree Jackson and Bradbury and uh, Jabril Peppers. Like, that's a lot of first-round picks in that secondary. Yeah. Like, second-round picks. Like, that's a talented secondary. And, I mean, they put up, what, 28 on on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's defense is really freaking good. So there, mm-hmm. there is – it's just I think that people are looking at individuals instead of maybe looking at the whole concept, and they're looking at certain things and trying to nitpick when it's like, well, wait, no, they're still putting up points, and that's not – like they're still learning this offense in some form yeah. or fashion too. Well, uh, I, I just think that there's a lot of week one still in people's heads and not yes. seeing like there has been progress. Of course, I'm going to say this, and they're going to put up like 150 yards against the Jets, and I'm going to look silly. But oh, my heart can't take that. Um, I will say, I, I feel like because the Falcons hired an offensive-minded head coach, that fans, many people, had it in their minds that 
2016, Kyle Shanahan was going to step in. And I think the thing that we forget, at least with the Falcons, and obviously you weren't here at the time, but 2015 Kyle Shanahan, by the end of that year, the fan base wanted him fired. The Falcons had a streak in the middle of 2015 where they scored 10 points, 20 points, 16 points, 20 points, 10 points. Like they were not that top tier offense that everyone seems to remember. And I think some of that comes down to when you install a new scheme, um, it takes time. And there's an you sort of hinted at something here. And I think there's something to consider with this. When rookies come to the NFL, they sort of go from college to preparing for the NFL combine to doing obviously endless interviews with teams and talking to them. And then they essentially, once they get drafted, they go straight into rookie training camp and then training camp and then preseason. It is a rush of things. They never get this chance to actually sort of sit down. And, and, and a lot of times these guys are traveling, moving to a different you know, state, a different city. Their lives are disrupted. That is a lot to take in as a young person in your first year in the NFL. And you, you mentioned that bye week being important to sort of take a breath. That may be true for the coaches as well. I, I think about Arthur Smith, Terry Fontenot, they're taking over this franchise. They didn't come in and say, oh, well, here's our game plan. Here's our players. They had to evaluate the entire roster to even start their offseason. Um, so it feels like they're off to a slow start, arguably because they didn't have – they weren't Tampa Bay returning their entire roster and all their same coaches with a full offseason to prepare. Do you think that is part of it? you think that they, they're sort of behind on the eight ball because there's so many new pieces coming in for the first time? Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, there's learning curves and bumps, all of it. Right. I, and I would say more mm -hmm. coaching than general managing. I mean, general managing, there's, there's things you learn there, too, and you evolve along the way. I mean, Arthur Smith, not to parrot what he says, but he talks a lot about adapting and evolving. Like and he's really big on that. Right. You know, he, he's like, well, if I stay the same, what, what am I doing? Like so that, like, you know, that he that's a very core tenant of who he is. So, yeah, I think that that's what you're seeing. I don't know if they were behind the eight ball so much. Listen, they had different challenges right. than, Maybe that's other, to say than other head coaches and GMs that came in because of the salary cap situation they were in because of the Julio Jones situation, which, by the way, by the way, <laughs> let's talk about that for a second. Oh, absolutely. Because Julio Jones is, is, you know, I mean, listen, he's going to be in their ring of honor one day. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. There's no doubt about that. But if Julio Jones was here right now and giving, and giving the Falcons what he was giving the Titans, people would be losing their minds. They'd be losing their minds. So understand, like, they, maybe, they, maybe they understood what they were doing in, in moving on from Julio Jones. And I, I still think Julio Jones could come back and be – really good this year and be really great for the Titans. And, and, you know, I don't ever wish anybody to get hurt. So I hope that that ends up being the case for him. But I'm just saying that, you know, yeah, they had to make a move to, to do something. And yeah. it was that or restructure Grady. And then, you know, then things, so let's say things, say you keep Julio and the Julio is doing this and then you've restructured Grady and you put that position in, you put yourself in even more of a tougher cap spot for next season. Mm -hmm. And, and, you don't do well and maybe you do need to kind of really look at reconstructing the whole thing and getting rid. Well, all of a sudden you can't because you're still in a bad cap position and then you have to still make tough decisions on guys like Matt Ryan and Grady and 
and Jake Matthews and Calvin Ridley. And then you'd have to make a decision on Julio too at that mm-hmm. point. And, you know, maybe you can't trade some of these guys as easily or they're free. Like, so that's all that being said, you know, using hindsight, I, it was a good deal. I thought for both, for both sides at the time, considering that Julio also said he didn't necessarily want to, you know, he asked for a trade, Yeah, but you're looking at what he's doing in Tennessee right now. And I think that, you know, that, that production level would be concerning if, if you were in Atlanta. Yeah. So anyway, back to what we were talking about. Um, but that was an issue they had to deal with and something they had to figure out that a lot of uh, general managers and head coaches that are coming in don't necessarily have to deal with that. Uh, or if they do, they deal with it kind of how, what happened with Matthew Stafford, where it's like done right away, you know, but they couldn't do that because of the June 1st thing. Yeah, they had to so wait. So they, they could, they, they were even in a different position there too. So I think they're fine. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they are, uh, you know, I think they're going to learn as they go and, and they're going to figure it all out. But that's not unlike any other new head coach. I mean, you look at yeah. the, the yeah. new coaches that you look at the new, the first year coaches that typically have a lot of success. Right. And, you know, I know, and some people might point to 2008 as well when Matt Ryan was a rookie. Like, I mean, sometimes what happens there is, you know, you get lightning in a bottle. I mean, Kevin yeah. Stefanski last year is a great example, but look at the roster that Kevin Stefanski had. Yep. It was a really good roster. Jim Caldwell with the Lions in 14. Look at the roster he had. It was a really good roster. Most of the time, if a guy gets let go, it's because that roster was like, that the team was bad and the roster was really bad. It wasn't a, oh, you know, this, that, or the other, like it's, that's kind of sometimes what happens and people just need to sometimes understand like, this is, this is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. It's not like this team was eight and eight last year. <laughs> like, no, and if it was, and they were doing what they were doing and they look kind of how they did it, then you can, I think have a, a legitimate argument. Okay. But they, this wasn't an eight and eight team. Mm. It wasn't, you know, and, and that's something that I think, uh, you know, and I get, I get the whole like people not having patience thing. I understand that. Believe me, I saw it. <laughs> you know, and I am more than just the last team I covered. Like I saw it growing up because I grew up in New York. Oh man, you tough know, market. I, I, as, no, I grew up. I grew up in New York, going to Giant Stadium for Jets games. I mean, I was my dad was for the longest time a, a huge Jets fan. Um, and, you know, and that was, I mean, I grew up in the days of Ken O'Brien and Al Toon and, and where they had talent, but they were never good, you know. So I under, I've, and I have a lot of friends in New York who are Jets fans and Giants fans and a lot of friends in Philly who are Eagles fans. And I saw that for a long time, too. So I've seen the whole thing where fans don't have patience and I understand it. I, I do get that. Yeah. But for, unless you got a situation that it's obvious that the roster is not like that the roster is kind of ready made in some ways, kind of like what Bruce Arians walked into, yes. you know, where like that, that's a good example of that. Like there's go, and even look at them last year. Oh, they, they started had, slow. People forget that. Yeah. They, they, they were, they were not necessarily in the playoffs at one point in like, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like they came out like gangbusters. They, 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 they got in the playoffs. Like in the last month of the season with yeah. two wins over the Falcons. But you you look at that and like that, there's gonna be slow starts. Mm-hmm. And listen, if this if this year is bad, 
Okay. I mean, but that will, all that does is kind of set up the process. I mean, to me, I know we've kind of gone on a winding path here, David. And, but to me, the thing is this, this year to me was always an evaluation year. Mm -hmm. If things went well, they could slowly start building for the future while also being competitive in the present and maybe not having to, you know, go wholesale changes for a year and be potentially really bad. Tanking doesn't happen in the NFL. We all saw that with Miami. Yeah. You know, they tried and and look what happened. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that that ended up being great for Brian Flores, by the way, because it you look at what Brian, what that team and what the potential that's there now, it, it worked out. I, maybe we'll see. But you know, because right now they've got their own quarterback issues since two is hurt. But like, yeah, I look at it and I say. If they end up in that situation, then okay, you, you, you figure it out. And but if you can be competitive this year and then start making moves for your future while also being competitive in the present, like that's what good teams do, and yeah. that's what good general managers and good head coaches do. You have a down year here and there, but then you end up being all right. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's that's how you build sustainability because the last thing you want to do is is not have that sustainability. And then, you know, you're in this, you're, you're in a continuous cycle over and over. But if you're bad this year and you say, okay, need to, need to really make wholesale changes, you do it, but understand that you're doing this and, you know, 2022 will probably be rough at that point, but you're doing it with 2023 being the, you know, the, the year you maybe want to have some kind of competitiveness to you. And I know fans don't want to hear that right now, but that's just how you build franchises and how you build teams. Yeah. It's really hard in the cap situation they're in specifically to rebuild a team and or build a team in a year, in one offseason, especially a COVID offseason where, oh, yeah. like, where everything was kind of truncated a little bit. It's really hard to do that. And, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a conversation for another podcast, but I would not be floored if they start all of this and Matt Ryan's still their quarterback. Like, I, if things – go south i i can still see them holding on to matt ryan and start that start building everything else so that way when you do eventually move on from matt ryan you have pieces in place because the last thing right. you want is you know a, a david carr situation or even a little bit what's going on with trevor lawrence right now in Jacksonville, exactly. where, or, or what's that what was going on potentially with zach wilson the first few weeks where a dude just getting hit over and over and over and over yeah. again and at some point that that's not good for the quarterback that doesn't like make you tough it makes you hurt yeah it makes you question stuff it makes you see ghosts in the pocket and yep. that's when it gets really dicey for quarterbacks so that's just my two cents on a problem that i think or a question that's going to be six months to 18 months down the road you know sure no i'm glad you said that and i want to get you back on for that podcast because that is actually to my in my mind it's a fascinating conversation you brought up david carr that is the example I go to where literally you got your quarterback, you got nothing else. This guy literally gets rattled every single game and it and ends up never being able to be the quarterback he's meant to be. Um, but that's, as you said, that's a different conversation. Right, but, well, but it is in some ways applicable to their opponent this week in the Jets because oh, yeah. that's, that was, that's one of the concerns with Zach Wilson. And it, uh, when if you listen to the podcast Thursday, Rich Samini and I talk about that a little bit because – yeah, I mean, you look at the Jets roster; it's not it's not a great roster right now. They have some pieces, but not not a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, Beckett Beckton's been a little hurt, so 
you you have you know you you got to that's that's the peril with taking a rookie quarterback is yeah. you know if they're in a bad situation like to me Trey Lance is in a really good situation because that team is the team has talent that team you know still has a large nucleus of what a team that went to the Super Bowl not so long ago <clears throat> that's a good situation Chicago is a great example of like well like. Yeah. You know that that's that's a but I think that roster has more talent than like the Jets than the Jets do. You know, but it's those situations that you know. I mean, Mac Jones I thought went into a perfect situation in New yep. England because Belichick also knows how to work with young quarterbacks. But like there is that largely decent talent base around them and experienced coaches, and that's if you're a rookie quarterback, what you want to be in. You don't want to go into a situation if you're a rookie quarterback where you're going to get hit a lot because it just doesn't you know i mean listen it it sometimes can work for guys but sometimes that takes a while too and you know i mean you saw not to go back to detroit again but it took matthew stafford matthew stafford was injured the first two and you look at some other guys and it just uh you know daniel jones is a good example like i think daniel jones is a pretty decent quarterback those that it didn't start out too great for Jen. No, it didn't. And, you know, and, and sometimes it takes time for quarterbacks and not all, and sometimes you learn on the fly, but sometimes you learn on the fly and by watching and you need, but you need talent and pieces around you to make you, to help make you good. Yeah. Any player needs that. No quarterbacks able to do this on their own. If they did, then the top 10 picks every year would be quarterbacks and you wouldn't take anything else. <laughs> yeah. This is not flag football. Um, they have to they have to win in the trenches too. They have to protect that guy. All right. Um we've run long, which is not abnormal. Um I was gonna say I'm used to that when I come to this show. <laughs> we still haven't we still haven't hit the record uh for me. So my last and we're not doing this tonight. And we are not doing this uh but I think and I'd have to go and check. I think I was on the when I left. When I left Detroit, I think I was on the Pride of Detroit show for like two hours, maybe. <laughs> You'd have to ask those guys. It was a long time. We just kept going. And they were like, you want to go? I'm like, I don't know. Let's keep going. Like, I took questions from people because they were doing it live. Like, oh, we, we just rock and roll, man. Oh, um, that's what we, we need to get you on live. That's that's what we need to do. I'll do, man, I'm down for whatever, like, you know, just as long, I will say this, I'm down for whatever, as long as your listeners come and listen to my podcast too. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're going to pitch your stuff a hundred percent. Like that's, that's part of the deal. That's, uh, Always. We, we, we get it. Um, <laughs> I will say this, um, you're a straight shooter. I'm a straight shooter. I, like we've had people on the podcast in the past where, um, we, how, how should I say this delicately? They were not compelling, and they'll be on the podcast once, and we're 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 you know, <laughs> it's like ghosting yeah. somebody. So like we have you back because I think uh, uh, you've you've done a fantastic job uh, sincerely. Oh, um, that's kind of you. Yeah, um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come up with some creative stuff here. Uh, and and get this thing going, uh, and we're going to break that two hour record somehow. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That was uh, that was that was an extra special episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, though. 
I love that. And it's not at all surprising. Um, all right. I, I am going to wrap this one up. Um, although, like I said, uh, I do want to have that conversation about the roster building because I think it's, it's actually a really good, uh, really good one that I think folks will benefit from hearing, but that is a podcast in and of itself. Um, all right, Michael, tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have coming sure. up. Cause you, you actually, you have some good stuff coming up. I don't know if you can tell us the context, but you can at least prep us for what what's ahead. Yeah. I I've got a really cool story running this week that I'm not going to talk that I'm not going to talk in any sort of depth about right now, but hopefully you'll see it late. It should run, I think Friday on ESPN.com. So you can find all my written work on ESPN.com on Mondays and Thursdays. We drop episodes of from the perch, which is my Atlanta Falcons based podcast. And I record those on, well, I record ever after every game. And this is important for listeners who follow me. Like I take questions on Sunday and mm -hmm. we don't have it set up yet where I can take live questions working on that, but we do take questions. I usually, after every game on Sunday, I'll post, Hey, the mailbag's open. Give me your questions on the bottom. And I try to get through as many questions as I can in that podcast. So after Sunday's games, if you see that tweet come up, shoot me a, shoot me a note. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rothstein and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. I also do Instagram lives, usually 9am every Sunday. I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to stop doing them if people don't start showing up because at some point it just, you know, it's not worth my time, but I enjoy doing it because that's the whole point is we were talking about, I think earlier before on the show that, you know, that that's my job is to help engage with readers and listeners and, and that's how I do it. I'm on Instagram at Mike Rothstein as well. Facebook, Michael Rothstein journalist. I think that's everywhere I am. Uh, <laughs> no TikTok. I do have a TikTok that I do not use. I'm not, listen, I'm not, I can't, no, can't do it. I, I just, I'm not, maybe someone will teach me one day and I will want to do it, but I, I will just, I will leave you with this fun TikTok story. So, during the pandemic, you know, TikTok, that was when TikTok really blew up and become, became more of a thing. Well, my cousin who's like five years older than, four years older than me, he started doing TikTok videos and he's in his mid forties. And I was just like, nope, I'm good here. <laughs> and uh, that was the end of, that was the end of any interest I had on TikTok, but I still do have an account that I don't use. I may have a bunch of followers. I have no idea. I have not logged out to it probably. That's hilarious. Uh, I've got some teenage, or God, no, actually, I've got adult boys that they could probably give you some TikTok instructions. I, I, I don't actually want the TikTok instructions. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fake, um, that was a fake <laughs> ask for help. All right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> all right, as for me, guys, I am only on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. You can find updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod and articles daily at FalcoholicPod.com. So for Michael Rothstein from ESPN, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.